Main Street to Wall Street. Global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, in business, there are high performers, and then there are impact players. There are people in your organization who are set apart from the everyday players and high performers. Well, today's guest will tell you what makes them special. Liz Wiseman's latest book is Impact Players, How to Take the Lead, Play Bigger, and Multiply Your Impact. If you recognize Liz, it might be from her book, Multipliers, a go-to resource for leaders at all levels. Liz, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Oh, well, Jeffrey, it's great to be here. It's good to have you here because, you know, you came up on a show just the other day. Your first book, Multipliers, recently turned 10. And in fact, I had a guest a few weeks ago cited as one of his favorite books. How does impact players fit into the themes of multipliers? Well, you know, I've spent the last decade trying to help leaders lead and manage in a way that brings out the best in people, that allows people to contribute fully, give all of their capability and intelligence and do work that's really impactful. And so I've been looking at the leader's role in this. And I then have spent the last three years looking, what is the contributor's role? And it really, in some ways, was prompted by a manager in one of my workshops. I think it wasn't a manager up at Salesforce in San Francisco. He said, yeah, yeah, I want to be a multiplier. Like, I want to be one of these kind of leaders, but you can't multiply zero. I'm like, wow, what do you mean? Like you got zeros working for you? <laughs> I, I am I am like just dumbfounded to hear somebody say something like that, right? I, I was dumbfounded as well. And I was winding up getting ready to give my little speech to him about how everyone brings intelligence. Everyone is intelligent. Everyone has something that they can contribute. And it's a leader's job to create an environment where people can contribute. But then he goes on to explain, he goes, well, yeah, as a leader, I need to bring the right mindsets and practices that allow people to, you know, show up and play big and and contribute. He goes, but they also have to bring the right mindsets and practices. I'm like, yeah, the leader is a variable in this equation, but so is the contributor's mindset. Like it's their mental game. It's kind of like a sports team is, you know, the, uh, the coach plays a role, but the way that players show up to practice has a lot to do with how big they can end up playing in a game. And so this is really about the mental game and the practices of the people who don't just do a good job and not just people who are high performers, but the people who are truly the impact players on a team, the people who make enormous contributions, do work that's extraordinarily valuable. You know, these are people who shape organizations. And, and so, so I have a lot of fun trying to understand, you know, how do they think and what do they do? Is it, yeah. It, is it hard for people to understand that they need to add a lot of zeros to their impact, the numbers? You know, so many times I have, you know, where I've stepped into teams or companies, I've bought and sold hundreds of companies and, and I've stepped inside of the company. It was always difficult to have them to see the next level, meaning we would go into that organization with the very same players. I would double or triple the revenue of the company in a very short period of time with the exact same players, but it was hard sometimes for them to be able to see that they could be a billion dollar company from a hundred million dollar company. Is it difficult for people to see that sometimes? Well, I think it is difficult to raise people's aspiration level when they've gotten inert, comfortable, like Mm. used to performing at a certain level. But, you know, strangely, here's the thing I've learned 
from studying the best leaders in the world, as well as studying, honestly, some of the worst leaders in the world. Like I'm known for being the multipliers person studying multiplier leaders, but I've also studied a lot of diminishing leaders. What I've learned is that people all, all across the globe come to work every day desperately wanting to contribute. And when they can, it's exhilarating. And when they can't, it's actually exhausting that you know people want to contribute. They want to contribute 100% everything they've got, but they find leaders in situations that prevent them from doing it. And they describe those situations as exhausting. But yet the situations when they contribute fully and when they can play big and make an impact, like these are situations they describe as exhilarating. Like what I've learned is that people want to contribute fully and they crave impact. And what happens is people learn to hold back, to play it safe. That's like a learned behavior, but people's natural state is to want to show up and make a difference. Like we want to do work that matters. And in some ways, the leader's job is to create an environment where people can do that. But what I'm trying to do is to help people raise their sights that actually you can contribute as big as you really want to. What's an impact player then? Can anyone in your organization be an impact player? You know, an impact player is they're not necessarily the smartest person in the room. They're not necessarily the most talented. They're not necessarily the hardest working. You know, they're smart, they're capable, they're hardworking, but they are people that make this inordinate difference in an organization. They're these standout contributors who bring value everywhere they go. And they raise the level of play on a whole team. In many ways, Jeffrey, to your very point, there are people who raise the sights for a team. It's like, you know, if, if you, you're playing basketball and you're playing a pickup game and Michael Jordan sort of walks down to the court and starts playing on your team, you're like, you know what? I think we're going to win. I think we're going to kill it here. The whole team plays better because they know they've got this player on their team. What are the signs of that player? What are the signs that like, yeah, yeah. What, what are the signs of, of somebody that, I mean, that you would look around the, in the room and start to, you know, make the assessments Are those always the people that say, I'll do this, or I'll take on the ownership. I'll go first. Or they the most talkative in the room. I mean, who are those players? Well, you know, okay. First of all, everyone knows who these people are. So if you yeah. ask a manager, like who are the impact players on your team? Boom, boom, boom. They know it because these are the people that we turn to in clutch situations, like in moments that matter, like who do I give a no look pass to? Yeah. And funnily, most people are like, I don't know why there's like a je ne sais quoi, like there's something about them. And so the fun of my research was like, I'm going to go find out what actually makes them different. What are those signs? And there were five that really differentiated them. And the first was how they dealt with messy problems. You know, really solid, rock solid contributors do their job. They do it well. Mm -hmm. But the impact players don't just do their job. They do the job that needs to be done. You know, the the game. Well, let's come back. Let me take a quick break. I'm going to come back and and talk about more about why they jump in, why they're willing to do it, and why they're just willing to be great people right after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back. As I bring you all business with Jeffrey Hazard right here on C-Suite Radio. Today, we're talking about impact, and I'm visiting with Liz Wiseman about our latest book, Impact Players, How to Take the Lead, Play Bigger, and Multiply Your Impact. So we were talking about, hey, these impact players like to get messy. They'll take on the messy project. What else do they like to do? 
I love that way you phrase it. They like to get messy. Messy problems sort of energize them. The second is how they deal with unclear roles. When, Mm. you know, we're all around the table, we're not entirely sure who's in charge, like who's running this meeting or we know this is like a cross-functional collaboration, but like who's kind of the boss? And what most people do is they wait for role clarification. They wait from direction from above where the impact players, they step in and they lead. You know, if they see a leadership vacuum, whether it's just a meeting that needs a facilitator or an initiative that needs someone to drive it, they willingly step up and lead. But what's so interesting is they don't just step up and lead. They step back as soon as that leadership job is done. So they're not the person who always has to lead. I actually think we're very suspicious of these people. You know, it's like the people. Well, I can see that because you would think they're into power. Listen, I'm, I happen to, you happen to describe most of what my career has all been about. And the kind of leader that I typically am is an impact leader. And I jump in when it's the messiest, when there's the biggest tornadoes going on. I run into those things. And I think there are a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of great leaders who are like this. I could care less what your title is or who, what my title is. Let's just go get it done. And then once we typically find a way to solve that problem and get it started and headed in the right direction, we find somebody else to lead. I just said this morning to somebody, I said, I'm not running this thing. You are. (laughs) It's like, hey, my work here is done. And, you know, they're not trying to make a land grab and people trust them because they're not the one that always has to be in charge. We're very suspicious of people who always need to be in charge. Yeah. They're trying to be a difference maker, not a position holder. Oh, that's a cool. I love that. I love that word. Difference maker, not a position holder. That's a really cool way of putting it. What else do you find with these leaders? Well, the third difference is how they deal with unforeseen obstacles, the kinds of things you can't plan for, you know, like global pandemics, like the world goes orthogonal on you. And what most people do is they take ownership, they take responsibility, they get things off to a great start. But when they get into that part where something unreasonable drops in, something out of their control, like above their pay grade, what most people do is the reasonable thing, which is to escalate the issue to someone who's in a position of of power of greater authority. And what the impact players do is they just hold on to it. And, you know, while other people are escalating issues, they are finishing strong. In fact, they they finish stronger. Like not only do they get the job done all the way done without reminder, they've built both individual and collective capability along the way. And it's not like they get it done like, okay, I will take this burden of this global pandemic on my shoulders. I'll figure everything out. It's like, okay, no, we're going to get it done. I'm going to pull in all the resources I need. I'm going to coordinate the response. And we're going to get it done, but we're not going to finish exhausted. We're going to finish strong, ready to take on the next challenge that lies ahead. Which is, we saw that with a lot of businesses, Liz. You know, like when the pandemic broke out in 2020, you know, on March the 13th, Friday the 13th, I remember that day well. And then I flew from Orlando back to South Dakota. I'm trying to think, oh, what are we going to do? Oh, no, this is going to be bad. This is not going to be good. And I remember getting online on Monday and said, look, why are the rest of you going to be sitting and eating bonbons? Woe is me. Woe is me. No, we're going to be business first responders. We're going to drive and thrive. Don't say the word survive. Drive and thrive. And today, my business is better. I grossed more money. I made more money than I did during the year previous to the pandemic, quite frankly. And then I see a lot of other business owners and leaders who have done that. They become great business first responders, or maybe why I should call them is impact players. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and it's saying, you know what? This obstacle is big. It's out of my control. It's out of other people's control. So rather than just escalate up, like, okay, boss, what do you want to do? It's like, this thing is so hard that it's a perfect opportunity for us to rethink. So they see this not as, oh man, what an annoyance it. Okay. This thing is so unreasonable that I'm going to do things differently. Like I'm going to take charge. And, and so they just look at problems differently. In some ways, it's that they have normalized problems. Like, you know what? The problem isn't having problems. The problem is expecting that you're not going to have problems and seeing them actually as a problem. Uh, so, you know, the, the fourth difference is how they handle like the constant shifting of targets where needs are changing, markets are changing, situations are changing, your customer base is changing, or you know, you're being asked to change. And when other people kind of like, they stay strong, they stick to what they know, the impact player is the one that is changing. Rather than asking everyone else to change to accommodate them, they're like, okay, the world is changing. It's like, Jeffrey, it's like they go to bed at night and wake up and assume that in the times, the hours that they were asleep, the world changed. And so they don't need to wake up and keep doing what they've always been doing. They need to wake up and say, okay, what just happened in those eight hours? And what do I need to do differently to adjust to how the world around me has changed? And so their orientation is not to stick to it. It's to ask for feedback, gather information, and make constant adjustments. It's like they assume that if they don't continually tune the instrument, they will be out of tune. I know there's another one coming, but I, I want to save that for the book. I want them to be able to read some things in the book. So we're not going to tell everybody. Yeah, to, if you want the, it's my you want the, favorite. It's my yeah. favorite. Save it for the you, book. Okay. I'll read it for the book. Cause I, I tell you folks, we don't want to give you everything. Okay. Cause we want you to read the book a little bit too, but you get a real good feel for how to be able to do it. So when we think about managers and supervisors, they know what an impact player looks like. I mean, you can almost smell them. It's like chemistry. You feel it, right? Like you said, everybody looks around, and they can say, Joe, Jim, Sarah, whoever it might be. So what can they do to coach up a good player into a great one? Mm. Well, you know, I have found, I'm going to pull from some of the things I've learned studying these multiplier leaders, leaders who really bring out the best in others is Everything I've learned about great leadership, I think I can sum up in two words, two and a half, is that the best leaders create safety and stretch. So they're creating an environment where people feel safe. It might be like psychological safety, intellectual safety, you know, where I can take a risk, speak out, speak truth to power. So they're giving people permission. Like if you want people to not just do your job, but to do the job that needs to be done, well, you got to give them permission to wander a little bit. You've got to give them permission to like leave base camp to go up to where there's like an avalanche and go rescue something. If you want people to not just escalate issues, you know, you've got to give them like a chance to change protocols. They create safety, but then they also create stretch. Stretch meaning holding people accountable. Um, If you want people to get the job all the way done, you know, don't rescue them. And you don't step in and say, oh, you know what? Let me do that. It's hard. That's my job. It's like, let people suffer a little bit. Let people finish the job, hold people accountable. And so if you want people to work this way, you've got to be a leader that creates an environment where people both can work this way and have to work this way. I love that. You know, I, I always said when I was at Eastman Kodak as chief marketing officer, one of the greatest things my CEO ever did was give me air cover. Mm. You know. 
because my job was to go in there and create all kinds of tension and to really mix it up. But he always said, I'll have your back. I'll give you the air cover to do it. Now, did I make a few mistakes from time to time? Yeah. Did I ruffle a lot of feathers from time to time? Yeah. And I learned from those experiences. So a great way. Give them a little air cover. And then remember that old saying, no pain, no gain. I like that one too. For an employee, is there a strategy to become an impact player? Well, you know, I think there's sort of a fundamental impact player orientation. And it's the lens that you look at problems through. And you know, we find that the impact player is is looking at these problems, so like messy problems, unclear role, unforeseen obstacles, moving targets, unrelenting demands, like all of these annoying inconveniences. And they look at those and they're like, you know what, those are indeed annoying, but they're those are opportunities. They're opportunities to provide value, to innovate, to change. Whereas other people are looking at those very same situations and seeing them through the threat lens. Like, okay, that's messy problem is a threat to my productivity, unclear roles, that's sort of a threat to my authority. And so one of the simple things that you can do to work like an impact player is to just, even if you react to things initially as, oh, that's annoying, is to say, what does this look like through the opportunity lens? Like if I put on opportunity goggles, how is this a chance for us to add value? It's simply asking that question every time you come up with one of these five annoyances It's like, how is this a chance for me to create value for others and create value for myself? That's one thing that will very much put you on this path. The other is, I think it starts with this fundamental orientation of, do I do my job or do I do the job that needs to be done? And I think to do that, you've got to pay attention to, you've got to be a bit of a heat-seeking missile, which is where, where is their action? What's important? Where do I position myself? You know, um, my husband is, is a really uh, fine athlete. And he always talks about like the best athletes are people who position themselves where they need to be to make a play. And it's about answering these two questions constantly, which is what is the win right now? I use win as an acronym for what's important now, not just what's my job, what's going on in the company? What's Jeffrey trying to do? What's important right now? And then two, how do I get in on the win? How can I help work on what's most important? There was someone who read an early copy of the book and he's like, wow, I don't think I'm working on what's most important. He actually was a, um, a worship leader for a big mega church. And he's like, oh yeah, my senior pastor doesn't even return my emails. And I said, why don't you try doing this? When you send those weekly emails, he was giving him a full update on what he was doing. And this was someone who was working hard, doing a great job. I said, why don't you just tell him two things? First of all, First thing in that email, tell them what you understand to be the most important work of your organization, of your church. And then two, tell them what you're doing to move that forward. He did those two simple things. And he said, wow, that was like a miracle because first of all, my emails got answered (laughs) and then I'm getting responses, encouragement, support, reinforcements, just figure out what the agenda is, what's important, and then go work on it. And you will be- amazed what happens. I love it. I love it. I used to tell everybody when they used to come and do big PowerPoint presentations to me when I was chief marketing officer at Kodak, practice the Moses rule. Moses could do it in two tablets or two PowerPoint slides of five bullet points each. You could do it as well. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, everybody. We are back as we bring you all business with Jeffrey Hazen. I'm visiting with Liz Wiseman about her new book, Impact Players. And we're talking all about impact 
and how you can be an impact player and be a bigger contributor. Speaking of contributors, in the book, you found three different types of contributors to a team. Who are they? How do we recognize them? Well, there are your ordinary contributors. These are people who are doing their job. They uh, do their job. They follow direction. They take ownership. They stick to it. And they carry their weight on teams, which makes them stellar, absolutely stellar in ordinary times. But in times of uncertainty and chaos and ambiguity, they tend to fall short. And that's where impact players really shine. And these are these people who are standout contributors, delivering value above and beyond. And they just think about their work differently. They don't, they're not just, as we talked about earlier, holding a position. They're figuring out how to make a difference. And they're extraordinarily valuable to other to organizations. Then the third type we studied was what I called the under-contributor. This is not someone who is a low performer, like maybe lacking skill or motivation or whatever. I asked managers, 170 of them, to identify ordinary contributor, an impact player, and then an under-contributor, someone who was smart, hardworking, and capable and talented, who was not having a big impact, who was contributing below expectations, below what their potential. And these to me were fascinating because these were really capable people that you would think would be superstars. But they were kind of off on their own agenda rather than working on the most important agenda. You know, they were some, some and some of them could be superstars. I know you when you said that right now, I'm working inside of a company as vice chairman of a company. I can tell you somebody that I, I can identify fits that role right this very minute and could be a superstar, yet is off doing their own stuff. Yeah. And they're often like just such taking such a me orientation, which is this is what I care about. This is what I'm passionate about. Yeah. Hey, boss, like, here's what I think. And in many ways, they're overplaying. They're playing too many chips. In some ways, we can end up under contributing value because we're overplaying what we think is valuable. Amen. Amen. And I think it's a tragedy. I hate seeing smart, capable people not contribute. Well, Liz, I'm going to have to have you back. We're running out of, we've ran out of time already today, but I, I want to get into something next time we have you on the show, value decoys. We use decoys here in hunting in South Dakota all the time. I want to talk about value decoys, but hey, you get a chance, everybody go buy this book, read the book, and then, hey, tell me what you thought about value decoys. I want to hear what you have to say. Thanks so much for joining us right here on All Business with Jeffrey. It's been a pleasure, Liz. It's a pleasure talking to you. My delight. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. A couple of things today I thought was really good. Recognizing different impact players in my own organization. I tell you that. You can figure those out real quick. And then also, I love what she had to say. You have to give them safety and stretch. You know, you have to give them a little air cover. I talked about that a little bit. And then also, no pain, no gain, right? You got to let them stretch. You can't just say, hey, you know, just like with your kids, sometimes you got to let your kids struggle. You got to let them fall down so they get back up again. You know, fall off the horse, get back up on the horse. So that thought, I thought that's what I learned a bit, even with everybody on the team. You got to give them safety, like, hey, it's okay. You're going to mess up, probably going to mess up a little bit. It's okay. Not going to do it perfect, but you're going to get it started and you're going to figure out how to do it. Well, and even if you don't know how to do it, we're going to stretch you. We're going to stretch you. are going to push you. That's how you learn. That's, that's the best way to learn. So I learned that I grow with listeners. So don't forget to tell other people about the show. I appreciate it. If you could do that, if you recommend us uh, to a friend of yours or two or 10 or a hundred to tell them to listen right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel and C-Suite Radio or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you want to get a little education, motivation, inspiration, and even a chance at monetization right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio. Thank you.
You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.